Coming to you from the Eon Project Studios, overlooking the vast, pristine acreage of Primrose Village. Greetings from this hidden gem of the Blackstone Valley. You're listening to Experts of Nothing with Mike and Jay. Oh, hey, Mike. Mike? Uh, well, folks, Mike's not here today, unfortunately. Uh, Mike is currently indisposed uh, for the time being. He is, uh, from what I understand, he is getting some sort of lower gastrointestinal uh, procedure done. Perhaps there was a, 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 a fissure or a rupture or a prolapse of some kind that he needs to have surgically repaired. And, of course, there is some lengthy uh, recovery and rehabilitation involved with, uh, with such a procedure. So we wish Mike all the best uh, in a speedy recovery, and hopefully he can get back with us here on the Eon Project shortly. Uh, what we're going to do here today is, as a as a buffer show, because I know that you're all waiting with bated breath on the edge of your seats uh, for uh, the newest, latest, and greatest installment of the Eon Project. So what we're going to do is, we're going to hearken back, get in my time capsule, my time machine, if you will, and transport yourself back years ago, uh, perhaps circa 2010, 2009, 2010 time frame, when Mike and I were doing a terrestrial radio show. Yes, folks, that is correct. Uh, we have mentioned this before. We were in a, an actual radio studio, if that makes any sense. And uh, they gave us the equipment, and they said, here you go, record your show and broadcast it out to the masses. And uh, as we currently speak, it is uh, th- that uh, uh, radio frequency signal is, is hitting the aliens that live in Alpha Centauri somewhere across the universe. Uh, So with that said, we're going to uh, play a retro show from our previous days on terrestrial radio when we were on WNRI uh, in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, which was uh, at the time was an uh, AM-only station. But however, uh, they have gone into the 21st century, and now I believe that they are currently on FM radio as well as uh, on the internet, so you can stream them and all their wonderful and glorious uh, programs that they have to offer. So in this particular retro episode, we're going to speak with Keith Johnson. Uh, some of you may be familiar with his work, may not, I'm not really sure. Um, however, I'm sure that you've seen it, whether or not you know him personally or not. He's been on many a, a television program. He's written many a book on the paranormal and demonology. Um, as a matter of fact, Mike and I were on his uh, public access television program right around the same time, back uh, circa 2009-2010, which you can actually find, I believe, currently archived on their website. So if you want to see us in all our infinite glory back in the day and see how puffy and strange-looking we are on a public access uh, television program, you can do that. So uh, going forward, we hope to be back soon enough with another uh, episode, new and exciting episode of The Eon Project. Until then, enjoy a, uh, a very uh, unseasoned, uh, newbie-like performance of Mike and Jay interviewing Keith Johnson uh, back on WNRI on the Darker Side radio program. Just remember, the truth exists. Believe it. Live from the WNRI studios, perched high atop the banks of the majestic Peters River. Greetings from the jewel of the Blackstone Valley, Winsocket, Rhode Island. You're on the darker side with Mike and Jay. Welcome, welcome. You welcome. know, you, you did that intro almost as good as I do, but not quite. I think I do it better. 
You want to stay after the show and practice? Maybe. Maybe. I won't mind. You know, I was listening to the news uh-huh. just now. Yep. And uh, that poor man in, was at New York City, fell through the one of the grates. That's correct. In the sidewalk. He fell like 30 feet. Plummeting 30 feet. And, you know, I was in New York City just a few weeks ago uh-huh. uh, walking the uh, walking the streets. Right. And I do remember stepping over those grates and thinking, you know, that I'm trusting my life and, in, in, you know, well-being to the great people of the city of New York, which you is probably a mistake. Mm-hmm. You know what's amazing is this, there's a city beneath the city there. It's unbelievable. I don't think I'd walk on a grate in Woonsocket either. Yeah, that's probably not a good idea. Just you'd, walk around. You don't want to fall into the sewers of Woonsocket. <laughs> <You'd never laughs> Who knows? Be, you'd never be seen from a game. Who knows what's living in there? Uh, and okay, yes. So this is the like we said. Welcome to the darker side with Mike and Jay. And uh, yes, I am a real person. I'm not I'm not just a figment of uh, Mike's imagination conjured <laughs> up uh, so he would have someone to talk to during the show. Well, I do exist. That's that's good to know, and I'm sure people are very happy to hear that. That's good. Well, we have a very special program today. We do, and uh, one we've been looking forward to for for a while. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have a special guest with us tonight. Very special. Yes, uh, we are in for a special treat tonight, folks. Joining us tonight is one of the leading voices in the paranormal field today. He is a demonologist and paranormal investigator extraordinaire, co-founder of NEAR, which is the New England Anomalies Research and Investigations Group. He's been seen on television, heard on radio, and has recently published a book entitled Paranormal Realities, in which he chronicles how he became involved in the paranormal and some of his experiences in over 30 years in the field. Mm -hmm. With us tonight is Keith Johnson. That's right. Keith Johnson is with us. Uh, He's (laughs) on the line, and we're going to get to him in just a minute. But uh, we're going to. Uh, I thought you were going to bring him on just then. No, well, we're going to we're going to uh, we're going to blow up his uh, his uh, oh, his bio here a little bit we're gonna, more. We're going to hype him a little bit more. Sure, sure. Uh, Keith Johnson, like we said, is the uh, is the founder of Near, which is uh, New England Anomalies Research. He's the co-founder of the group with his wife Sandra, uh, and and awesome, awesome, awesome TV show that they also produce. Yes. On the paranormal theme, it's a paranormal themed television program, uh, and it can be seen on their. Uh, on their website, I believe. I believe yes, it's archived there. That is correct. Uh, we'll let him tell you where you can see it uh, live, I believe. Or actually, I do take. No, I think they taped. taped the show. Yes, it yes, is. But you can't see it on television. Uh, they have a wealth of knowledge and experience in, in dealing with and investigating paranormal cases. Um, of course, Keith has also been featured on the Sci-Fi Channel's Ghost Hunters as a, uh, a consulting demonologist. And uh, both he and Sandra are former co-members of uh, the Atlantic Paranormal Society, which is uh, also known as TAPS. Mm. Uh, so, and they have also been featured as demonology consultants in the first two season episodes of Annie's Paranormal State. So, as you can oh, see, wow. they have a, uh, a wealth of uh, of knowledge, absolutely, uh, and experience. So, uh, I think maybe we should bring them on without should further pr- adieu. Yeah, we probably should. Okay, let's see if he's here before he gets bored on hold. Mr. Johnson. Yes, I am here. Ah, outstanding. Well, we're uh, we're certainly happy to have you with us tonight, and uh, for giving us uh, giving us some of your time. Well, I'm very glad to be here. Very oh, that's glad. great. Uh, and Keith, as we mentioned in your in your uh, bio, that uh, you recently published a book entitled Paranormal Realities, and hopefully we'll be able to get a little bit more information about your book and and uh, your research and, and and all of your experiences tonight. Um, so basically, you what differenti- uh, differentiates you but, but with most people in the paranormal field is that you you have the designation of demonologist, and a lot of people really don't know what that means. So I guess we were kind of hoping that you might shed a little light on that on that term for for our listeners. Right. Well, essentially, a demonologist is somebody who has studied the history, activities, and personas of demonic entities and hopefully has a bit of experience behind him or her and uses that knowledge, hopefully, for a beneficial purpose rather than just trying to do it for fun or interest or conjure up demons. That's essentially what a demonologist is and does. Mm-hmm. So that's that's different from from someone who's really just uh, you, you're basically in it to help people rather than just 
kind of document what goes on. Exactly, exactly. I mean, of course, we do the normal paranormal investigation routine where we do document our evidence and try to prove or disprove as much as possible, but uh, when you get into demonology, it does go a step beyond that, yes, indeed. So maybe we'll delve a little bit more into, into the demonology aspect in a bit, but maybe we should backtrack a little. Um, how about you tell us a little bit about how you first really got started uh, you know, involved in investigating the paranormal on, on a serious level, or what, what uh, started your interest uh, from the beginning? Well, I've always had an interest. Uh, my brother Carl and I grew up in a house in North Sichuan, Rhode Island, that did have some paranormal activity going on. It, well, certainly wasn't like the Amityville Horror, but, I mean, every once in a while things would happen that were unexplained. Then when we got into our mid-teens or so, we decided to investigate this on a more, much more serious level because we were very interested and we knew that something was going on. Plus, because of my religious upbringing, I was brought up um, in a uh, Christian household. Mm -hmm. uh, my parents brought us up Christian. Uh, I became very interested in the religious aspects of it, you know, the angelic and the demonic realms, the inhuman spirits, so to speak. Right. And I really wanted to, I felt I was being led to help people in this field. The only problem was, of course, this was the uh, early 70s, there was really no outlet for that on a uh, practical basis. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could, back then, you could go around to different haunted locations and different cemeteries and do the usual thing. But how did you go about really helping people? Of course, I had read everything I could possibly get my hands on about it and um, studied the Bible extensively. But I really had no way of how am I supposed to go out and help people if, if this is what I'm meant to do. Right. So I did pray about it. And um, eventually, Carl and I were still teenagers when we attended a lecture at Rhode Island College and met Ed and Lorraine Warren, who, of course, were pioneers in the field of... Uh, not only uh, paranormal investigation, but Ed Warren was also a demonologist, mm -hmm. so I felt I was being led down the right track meeting these people, because after all, they went over all over the world investigating these very, very serious cases, and of course, their most famous case was the Amityville case. Right, we, we actually discussed that case in, in detail on this program, and I, I believe Ed and, and Lorraine were really the first paranormal celebrities, if you will. Yes, yes, indeed they were at them along with Hans Holzer and um, so that's basically how I did get started and my brother Carl and I were also invited at that time to join a paranormal investigation group at Rhode Island College mm -hmm. and of course we were doing the usual paranormal investigation but of course we were still teenagers and of course this is going back to the early 70s like I said there was no internet available so what I did was put a little ad in a local newspaper advertising that we do investigations of things that are unexplained, and we do this free of charge. So a woman from Harrisburg, Rhode Island, contacted our group because she'd seen this ad three weeks later, and we met with her. Her case turned out to be a case of demonic infestation and oppression. Wow, right off the bat, you get right. something like that. <laughs> I mean, you know, we hit the jackpot right away, <laughs> right. and she she thought we were a godsend, that somebody would actually take her seriously and not laugh at her, and, because there were very few people she could go to at the time. Mm -hmm. So that's basically how I started out. Wow. Now, of course, it, after that, it doesn't mean every single case you will get will be that hot and heavy. Right. 
there were many months and even years of basic inactivity where we investigated here, there, and uh, nothing much happened. But uh, every once in a while, we would be called into a really, really kind of heavy demonic case, and that uh, included cases of demonic possession as well. So, so when you when you first started doing your investigating in the in the seventies and. I must say that Mike and I were born in 1976, so that gives you an idea <laughs> okay, of, yeah. of where we are. A little before of... your time. Then. <laughs> that's, all, that's okay. But um, how? What were the, some of the first, uh, in terms of your first investigations? How did they? Um, how did they go? And how is it? How has your investigations changed over the years? And some of the things that you've fine-tuned. Um, you know, obviously we have a little more technology at our hand at our disposal these days. But how, how has it changed uh, since you first got started? Well, when I first got started, we would go into a they find a local abandoned building and we'd go in there with uh, that. this is the times when we did bring any recording devices with us. I'd bring my old um, Polaroid swinger camera All right. and you know an old cassette tape recorder and um, that's basically what we did. It's interesting though, it was still the early 70s and we were down in the basement of our home that's when my brother Carl obtained our first EVP. And we weren't trying for EVPs. Mm-hmm. We, we, that was a new field mm-hmm. for us altogether. We weren't even uh, familiar with the term electronic voice phenomena at the time. But he happened to be recording downstairs with some of our friends who were doing some psychic experiments. He played the tape back, and he got a voice in slow motion. So a friend of ours sped the tape up on his machine several times faster, and what it said was, Carl, help me, help. Wow. So that's how we obtained our first EVP. <laughs> and, and again, your first foray into that, and you get something that's, that's really creepy. <laughs> yes, yes. And they were yes. naming you. In they, fact. they were pointing you out personally. Oh, yes, so. yes. And that's, that seemed to be the way it was. We'd uh, start off getting all this evidence and these really exciting cases, and then, then it would be a dry spell for the next uh, several sure. months or a year or so, whatever, until we got a nice, uh, another nice case. But um, it was kind of nerve-wracking because we weren't, at least on a technical basis, we certainly weren't prepared for what we were going into. I mean, if it was now, we would have everything set up um, ahead of time with the modern equipment and everything like that. Back then, really wasn't available to us, and uh, I just wish I'd had the chance to uh, document these cases on the uh, technical side as well as, say, we would go in today. So, so, so you that, that's something that's changed. So yeah. you think that, that nowadays we would get we would we would be able to get more uh, tangible and, and documentable evidence from from a case like that than you were able to in the past. Right, right, exactly, exactly. I mean, I actually have the video to to show for it, and uh, of course, we do still have some recordings from back then. But of course, it would be much more extensive if it were going from the perspective that we are now. With so the equipment we have now. So as obviously as technology advances, so goes. Um, the ability to, you know, get more hard evidence in terms of documenting uh, these dip- different types of phenomena, I would imagine. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. So that, that has come quite a long way from when we first started out. Right. Plus, <coughs> have to remember, our field wasn't really that accepted at the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, sure, people found it interesting, but when you actually meet people that do this sort of thing, that was a different story. Very, very few and far between. We knew Ed Lorraine Warren um, and a few other paranormal investigators, and that was it. You didn't have the networking that you have today. You didn't have the paranormal conventions, and um, mm-hmm. 
you just it just we, we were very very isolated and secluded in what we did back then. So it's basically more generally accepted that, uh, as a as a kind of a pseudoscience because there's really not anything that's it's very hard evidence. I mean, there's there's evidence, but it's different from something that you can quantify with with scientific fact. Exactly, exactly, and uh, it really helps so much when you can sit down with somebody or email them or call them and network and discuss this. Uh, back then, we just really didn't have any of that at all. Right. Well, uh, I think we're going to go up to a break. If we, could, if you would stay with us, uh, Keith, we'd be very sure. happy with that. And uh, when we get back, we're going to ask some more questions of, of Keith Johnson. And uh, feel free to call in with your questions. We'll give the call-out numbers when we get back. Stay tuned. And he decides who to free and who to blame. Everybody won't be treated all the same. There'll be a golden ladder reaching down. Welcome back to The Darker Side with Mike and Jay. Tonight we're talking with paranormal legend Keith Johnson. Uh, we'll be talking a little bit later on about his new book, Paranormal Realities. We'll give out the call numbers if you have a question for Mr. Johnson. I'm sure he would be more than willing to take your, uh, take your questions. And if you're in the local area, the numbers are area code 401-766-1380, 769-0600. Of course, if you're outside the area, you can call us toll-free, which is the way to go, at 1-800-949-9674. It's free. If you want to email during the program, we actually have a new email address uh, for you to for you to contact us. That's correct. Either during the program or off the program hours. And you can reach us now at Mike at thedarkersideradio.com or Jason at thedarkersideradio.com. That's right. The uh, We're in the midst of constructing a new website for the just devoted specifically to the radio program. We've had a, uh, a lot of requests um, and wondering where, we, where is our website, seeing as how obviously everybody has a website these days. A, a program as terrific as this one needs a website. Of course. I mean, we want to be able to uh, to get our information out. And, Actually, uh, the lines are lighting up. Look at that. You just did the, the numbers shows. and people are calling. How about that? Well, let's bring Keith back on real quick and see if, uh, see if he's still with us. <laughs> Keith, you still there, brother? Yes, I'm here. Awesome. Okay. Do uh, you mind if we take a couple uh, phone calls real quick, questions That'd for you? Great. Yeah. All right. Listen, if uh, if we hang up on you, it's nothing personal. <laughs> it's Jason's fault if something happens. The, uh, we've had some issues with the uh, the phone line a couple weeks ago, so but uh, okay. we'll do our very right. best. I'll be prepared. We've got our fingers crossed. All right. Here we go. Okay. Hello, caller. You're on the air. Go ahead. Hello. Okay. That one didn't work. Keith, you still with us? Yes, I'm. I'm here. All right. Hello, caller. You are live on the air. Go ahead with Keith Johnson. Okay, and that person is not there either. All right. Keith. Yeah. Okay, we're going to get right back in interview. We'll attempt to take another call, but as you can see, the phone lines have issues here. You know, and really it isn't the technological uh, uh, prowess on our part. This is a very old phone system. Mm-hmm. I think that Alexander Graham Bell actually signed this one. Yes. <laughs> and so... Uh, it's one of those uh, rotary phones. I'm sure you remember them from the 70s. <laughs> yes, I do. Yes, yes, so... And uh, the vacuum tubes here right, on the, yeah, we uh, get on them, the board. Yeah, we have vacuum tubes that I have to constantly be flicking to, to get them to work. Mm-hmm. So, Oh, okay. So uh, anyway, Keith, uh, delving back into your background, if we, if we could, um, most of our listeners and, and, uh, and fans of the paranormal probably know you best from your, uh, from your time with TAPS, uh, from, yeah. the, from the sci-fi show Ghost Hunters. Mm-hmm. Can you, uh, and I know that you were actually one of the, uh, the earliest members of that group. Can you explain how you got involved with them? 
Well, my brother and I were in between groups. We're considering founding our own organization because we've pretty much been freelancing at the time. One day I was doing a just a computer search and um, I came across this little little site, little user-friendly site called the Atlantic Paranormal Society. It was only a little site, just pretty new, just two pages, no pictures of stories or anything, but it seemed very sincere and uh, like the real deal. And I saw this uh, name, Jason Hawes, founder, and it was a Warwick number. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I lived in Warwick, and so I said, wow, I've, I have to get in touch with this guy. There you go, synchronicity again, right? <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. This looks just what I, I'm looking for. So my brother and I met with Jason and told him our experience. He was very impressed, and in a nutshell, he invited us to become members, and, um, you know, the rest is history. Of course, that was long before the TV show or anything, but uh, right. we had uh, quite a few adventures along the years, and... Uh, Eventually, my wife, Sandra, uh, joined TAP. She became a m- member of the Atlantic Paranormal Society as well, mm-hmm. and uh, that's how it all started. And, uh, of course, we met many good friends uh, along the way, such as Brian Hanwar, a good friend, and uh, I was put in charge of mentoring him in demonology and basically training him. And uh, some people that you don't see on the show because they weren't uh, in perhaps at the time when the show began, when Ghost Hunters began, right. but uh, they are mentioned in my book because obviously there was a long history before the TV show as well. I actually, uh, Mike and I went to uh, high school with Brian Hanwa. We did. We graduated. Oh, he, he we graduated high school with him. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we graduated high school with him. So. Yeah, he was in my English class. Mr. Arise, uh, I think it was third period, uh-huh. <laughs> and he wore his Shaquille O'Neal jersey every day. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, <laughs> he loved Shaq. I think, he actually, <laughs> I, I think he quoted Shaq he, in the yearbook that he, year. He did, yeah. if I recall correctly. It was a quote uh, from Shaquille O'Neal. So, yeah. All right, wow. Keith, we're going to attempt to take another phone call here, so bear with okay. us. Paul, you're on the air with Keith Johnson. Go ahead. Yes, hello, Keith Johnson. Yeah. This is this is Dan Haggerty. You probably remember me from the Grizzly Adams series. Yes, I I've do. I've always had an, an, an interest in the paranormal. Well. Mm-hmm. No, actually, this is Carl. Ah, <laughs> the brother of Keith. The, the, the handsome be. younger, uh, older brother. Oh wait, you guys are twins, right? Yeah. Yeah. So three minutes older. Oh, I see. Okay. Well, no. that was a, that was a Grizzly Grizzly Adams reference. Is that what that was? Well, yes, yes. I was just trying, trying to see if I could fool him. Was Gentle Ben? Bigger. Gentle Ben was the name of the bear, right? Or was that a yeah, different yeah, movie? Yeah, the Gentle Ben was the bear, and that was with Clint Howard, ah. younger brother of Ron Howard. Ah, he, yes, but yes. Dan, Dan Haggerty, whose beard caught on fire once, was, uh, <laughs> uh, he had that famous beard parted in the middle, and he was uh, he was Grizzly Adams. He and was the mountaineer. I believe birds nested in that. Yeah, yes, and Denver Pyle was a semi-regular on that show, yes. Oh, outstanding. Great. Yeah, the, bird, the birds had to fly away when his beard caught on fire. All right. Okay. Well, we're we're not here to discuss the bears or Grizzly <laughs> Adams, are we? Not? Well, that's quite the phenomenon <laughs> yeah. in itself. So. Oh, and I recently met a gentleman who worked at Garlic Farms uh, with Brian Hanwar. If we can say Garlic Farms. Oh, well, you just did, so that's okay. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, I let that slip. <laughs> yes, but he was working with uh, Brian Hanwar in Brian's early employment days. Mm-hmm. Wow. Before the paranormal. What's he doing nowadays? Well, Brian is actually uh, he is trained as a firefighter. Wow. Yeah, and I'm not sure if it's the Warwick Department he's, he's with, but he's on inactive status for now. He's waiting for the call. I'm glad my house isn't on fire. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, run in! <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Okay, but I had a question for Keith, and this is actually a topic Keith and I have discussed. Uh, you know, Keith, of course, is a demonologist specializing in the study of demons, as am I. 
Now, uh, the classic definition of a demon, as we interpret it now, is uh, a fallen angel, you know, a, a minion of the devil, so to speak. Now, are there cases where uh, a hostile human type of spirit, a human influence, that has somehow become degenerative, could possibly be mistaken for a demonic entity? Would there really be a difference? Can, can a human type of spirit, you're classifying the types of, of entities, could a human type spirit or responsive spirit degenerate into negativity to the point where it could actually be classified as a demonic? And I'm not sure I have an answer for that. But what's your opinion on that, Keith, please? That's actually a very good question, of course. There is sometimes a lot of confusion as to uh, when it uh, leaves off a very, very negative human spirit and when it is actually an inhuman demonic spirit. When you have the inhuman demonic spirit, things there usually be some telltale signs like a strategy, whereas a human spirit would not follow that pattern. A uh, human spirit would basically be after attention and trying to fulfill something, but um, really a lost a wandering soul, which Sandra and I both agree is not a natural state at all. But um, a demonic spirit will follow a pattern. It will uh, have strategy where it's actually trying to break down a person systematically. Things will come in numer numerical order. There'll be uh, really uh, excessive anti-religious behavior. Things will tend to be uh, counterclockwise, the activity will be. And um, so when it is a demonic spirit, you'll not only see the hostility, but you'll also see the strategy involved, which uh, a negative human spirit usually would not follow that so, so Keith, basically, what you're saying is, if someone is out there listening that that is experiencing paranormal activity, let's say in their home, and we have had several people uh, contact us on this program and after the program, saying that they do have this type of uh, phenomenon going on, but they're not sure if it is demonic in nature or a human spirit. But but some of the things that you just described, that's what differentiates the the human spirit from the inhuman. Right, right, and a demonic spirit actually has to leave a calling card, so to speak. It has to begin the infestation. And sometimes you won't be aware of this in, unless you look in retrospect what has been happening in the activity. It will start out perhaps with three knocks on the door or something will happen in threes. Something to let the person know, even if they're not aware what's going on exactly, they have to leave a calling card that they are an inhuman spirit, a demonic spirit. Whereas well, so usually it's like a negative right. human spirit yeah. would just be kind of like a frenetic and in a rage, and that rage would sometimes even dissipate, and you can sometimes talk a human spirit out of uh, a reason with it to a certain extent right. to uh, cease and desist. It sounds like Keith is saying that a demonic, a classically demonic entity is more organized, has an agenda, a modus operandi, and therefore can be identified. Mm -hmm. Exactly, whereas, uh, exactly. Well, that's a, a, that's a good thing to know because a lot of people are confused by things like that, and, and, and to, to have some sort of characteristics to go by that's very helpful yeah well, by, yes, by exactly. the way i can do a wicked good keith impression oh so go I could, for it I could, I could have fun with this <laughs> the classic demonic entity uh can be identified actually so wow that that's scary i didn't you know, know who, who i was listening to then to after a while there might be the same yeah it may be the same person maybe there isn't two maybe there's just one man oh uh, well <laughs> we did time together as a zygote you know <laughs> only for a few days but great and uh, Dina wants for a copy of Paranormal Realities. We, you know, we go to the bookstores, and they're usually sold out. So wow, that's a good sign. Yeah, that is yeah, good that sign. Is it's good encouraging. Well, we want our copy. She that's wants a good hers. calling card there in itself. Yeah. Well, okay. great. Well, thank okay. you very much for calling.
My right, pleasure. Thank you, Carl, for calling right. in. Good to talk to you, Keith. <laughs> Good to talk to you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, Bye-bye. Carl. Of course, that was Carl Johnson, Keith's uh, uh, evil twin. <laughs> what a, what a treat that was to speak with uh, speak with Carl. And I think we I think we've sorted through our phone problems. I know there was uh, there was three or four people on the line. So uh, feel free to call back in if you have a question. It's four zero one seven six six thirteen eighty seven six nine zero six hundred or toll free one eight hundred nine four nine nine six seven four. So we did a um, a few weeks back. We did a. Um a demonic possession show, a show devoted to demonic possession. I don't know if you caught that one, Keith, but um, some of the things that we were we were discussing um, were basically how the how you know demons that inhabit people. Um, it, it seems as though that they're on the lower. Would you say the lower level of the the spiritual realm of of evil beings? Um, to to basically they, their their goal is to, revolves around a, a person or an individual. Yes, yes, and they would be on the lower spectrum, so to speak. That's usually the type of entity that does engage in possession of a human being. Right. Yes, that's exactly true. Okay. Keith, we're going to try to take another another phone call here real quick. We'll okay. see if we can get him. Hello, Cole. You're on the air with Keith Johnson. Go ahead, please. Hi, Mr. Johnson. Um, my name is Cindy. I'm actually a listener from Bellingham. Um, I actually had a question for you in regards to demonic entities, e- entities I'm sorry, and um, a Ouija board. I don't know if you've ever had any experience with Yes, demonic entities and Ouija boards? Yes. Yes, actually that's a very good point. Yes, um, we have dealt with quite a few cases that were demonic in nature that did seem to involve a Ouija board. Some seem to begin with a Ouija board, but um, yes, there have been instances where people have been communicating, and these are usually people that are very spiritually vulnerable, and some people don't seem to have this much problem, but uh, when it's somebody who's very uh, psychically sensitive or emotionally vulnerable, and they are communicating with a Ouija board, sometimes they will become attached to whatever spirit entity, especially if it's uh, something that's regularly communicating. Sometimes these are not human spirits. They're actually inhuman demonic spirits masquerading as a human spirit. And we have uh, actually seen this uh, quite a number of times where once this entity has gained a foothold and the person feels comfortable with it, they'll take advantage of that person and try to gain more and more of a foothold into that person's life until finally that person becomes so obsessed with this entity and vice versa that they almost become one and the same. This person feels they cannot function without their friend on the Ouija board, and this inhuman spirit masquerading as a human spirit will do more and more to try to take over that person's life. So it can become a vicious cycle. Is that because the... Is, is, I'm sorry, is that, uh, I, just a follow-up. Is that because the entity is giving some sort of positive uh, feedback to the to the user, maybe giving them a little bit of insight into uh, current events or future events? Or what are, they, what are they doing that's making them dependent on it? Well, usually it'll start out uh, giving them little tiny insights here and there into the future, like so-and-so is going to call so-and-so really likes you or really cares about you or stay away from this person and um, really become like a friend, especially if somebody's very lonely and feels isolated, they'll start to depend upon this Ouija board friend, this unseen friend. Whereas um, these spirits can be very, very crafty and can manipulate people. Once they've gained a foothold, suddenly their personality will change. They'll either stop communicating or they'll start become very, very vulgar and hostile towards that person. They'll say, what happened to my friend here? Suddenly my friend's cussing me out 
and threatening and everything. So, mm -hmm. yeah, we have but seen that happen um, quite a number of times. Okay. Um, I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> <laughs> um, can they, could the, could the demon pretend to be somebody else? Um, basically what happened, I've, I've used the Ouija board once and I've never gone back again because it just scared me so much. Um, my father passed when I was really young and right. I used it kind of to try to communicate with him. Um, you know, there were a few friends and they said, oh, wouldn't it be funny if we got a hold of your dad through this? And I said, oh, why not, you know? <laughs> and we tried it and I was asking questions, you know, pretty common knowledge questions that my friends who were in the room with me at the time would have known. And I, I was really skeptical. I said, you know what, this isn't, this isn't real. You're just moving it. Um, and then they said, well, ask it something that we wouldn't know. And I started to ask really personal questions that only immediate family members would know. And it was answering me correctly. And at that point, I kind of thought, well, maybe it's my dad coming through to talk to me. And then it, you know, like you said, it just got really nasty and really vulgar. And the whole thing just started moving at a rapid rate. And I just took my hands off and I just walked away. And I never tried using one of those things again. Um, so I just didn't know if that was a common thing to happen or not. It's not really common, but we have known it to happen. It does mm -hmm. occasionally happen where these spirits will have inside knowledge and they'll have just enough where they can really get you going, like nobody else could have known this. For right. example, uh, I have a friend um, who actually lives overseas who recently was in a Ouija board session with a group of friends, other uh, investigators, and her father's um, initials came through, but nobody else there would have known her father's middle name or anything, and it did give some insight knowledge and started making predictions. Now, right. some of these predictions came true, but they were kind of like half-truths. It didn't happen exactly the way it was uh, It was predicted. You know, it predicted that uh, someone would die. Well, somebody did die, but it was not the person that was predicted. So mm -hmm. it really can be very upsetting at that point. So, so I'm kind of glad you stopped using it right then if it's that type of spirit. So you would, you would recommend, Keith, that nobody really mess around with that thing? I would personally, yes. Yes, we recommend that. Uh, we really think it's it's not a good idea. I know some people say they use it safely and do it without problems, but um, we, we've just seen people really, really upset and messed up through this. So we do actually recommend that it, it's something to stay away from. So even though the, the, the Ouija board is, a, is considered a game made by Parker Brothers... I was going right. to ask that. Why, you, you why would, is it a game? Why, you, I don't understand why it's been distributed. You would say that, that it probably should have some sort of disclaimer yeah, attached to it. Really? It should. It should. But um, most people use it as a game, and it can seem fun at first. It's usually a parlor game that teenagers play. But um, the thing is that it's dealing, you're opening up your psyche to something that's really unseen and unknown. So the fact that you're opening up your psyche and saying, please move my fingers, manipulate, you're asking it to do something really that's on a psychic, physical level with you, that you're asking it to move your fingers to control some of your thought patterns, and um, that's that's where the danger comes in, I believe. Well, actually, I um I I did myself use it uh, on an occasion when I was a youth, mm -hmm. right. and uh, most of us did. And yeah. I was I was attempting to uh, I was attempting to delve into uh, uh, past lives, like mm. a past life kind of thing. What did it tell you? And uh, it told me that I was a I was a soldier uh, at some point, and I fought at the uh, the Battle of Fort Ticonderoga. Wow! And uh, I died of syphilis. 
That's pretty specific. So uh, wow, that's, that's interesting. So uh, so and, was and, there, and, very, yes. might, might I add, not out of the realm of possibility, knowing you. No, very very much uh, could be there. Yeah. So wow. uh, that was my uh, that was my Ouija board experience. Oh. That's uh, that's pretty interesting. That's a new one. <laughs> well, thanks for the call, Cindy, and uh, uh, please okay, don't mess with the you, board Cindy. again. I, I don't plan to. Thank you. Very thank much. you. Okay, Bye-bye. great. Oh, good caller there. Um, yes. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things that uh, people start off as a game, and, and like so many things, get involved very quickly over their head. And I, I think the same could be said for, for paranormal investigation as a, as a whole. But um, I think we're up against the break, so we're going to go to the break. And, Keith, if you don't mind holding on for one more segment, that would be great. Awesome. And uh, when we get back, a few more questions for Keith. Stay tuned. Back to the darker side with Micah J. Our guest tonight is Keith Johnson, demonologist, paranormal investigator, author, and uh, I hear good bowler. All around good guy. Yeah, dancer. Let's see if he's uh, still with us. Keith, you still there? Yes, I'm here. Okay, great. Well, uh, if you don't mind, Keith, we'll jump right into a call. We had somebody who's been on hold for a while. Cole, you're on the air with Keith Johnson. Go ahead. Hi, Keith. This is Mike. I live right around the corner from the radio station. Oh, hi. Um, Mike. How I are you would... doing? I was listening to the young lady who was speaking to you uh, before regarding yeah. the Ouija board, mm-hmm. and I have a question. I'm talking about those reenactment shows where they say they used it and then they they throw the Ouija board in you know in a, in the fire and burnt it. Right. And from what I understand, and I, I don't know if it's true, that's why I'm asking you, is uh, is that a good thing to do? Actually, burning it. Throwing it in the fire is uh, really kind of unsafe. That can cause a retaliation. If it, if there is a spirit, a negative spirit attached to it, um, which, you know, there is a rare possibility that something that's attached to the Ouija board could retaliate, especially if it's thrown into fire. It, it considers you, it's burning its, uh, what it, what it, its property, its place of residence, so to speak, on mm-hmm. a spiritual basis. It feels it has a right to be there, and that's its vehicle, its mode of uh, communication. So it will either retaliate from where it came from, or it will ta- retaliate to the person who's burning it. Like right. somebody owned it, it might attack the owner. So it's really, really not a good idea. The habit instances where a uh, spirit has attacked, and um, I, I've known people that, uh, especially when I was first starting out, even in taps, people would uh, take Ouija boards from families that were having problems and burn them right in their home. But, but that we really do not recommend because there have been problems. And um, my um, my friend and associate, uh, John Zaffis, is also a demonologist. He's uh, known that to happen as well, that uh, problems will happen when somebody throws a Ouija board into a fire. So we really, really don't recommend that because of the possibility of retaliation. Keep- Keith, if I might, uh, just as a kind of a follow-up for that, the there's been a, a recent trend in, in especially on television programs where uh, the investigators are going out of their way to provoke whatever whatever entity is there, and that sounds like something that they might do uh, on a program like that. Is that is that is that something that's safe in your opinion? You know, maybe not burning a Ouija board, but 
uh, doing something to provoke an entity. Right, I see that more and more, and um, that can be very dangerous too. I really, really, in fact, it really bothers both my wife Sandra and I when we see that on TV. It's kind of a trend where, like you said, where uh, especially younger investigators will really, really provoke to get in a reaction, and often it will. It will be successful in getting a reaction, but uh, you have to have respect for what you're dealing with. These are spirits that, that are very intelligent. They have the wisdom of the ages. Uh, just to respect the situation, I mean, because I, it really bothers me when they come in and start provoking just to get a reaction, mm-hmm. and uh, which is different from religious provocation. But um, that that is really something I don't recommend, and uh, I very, very much disagree with. So that, that's a good point, yeah. All right, Keith, I think maybe we should uh, talk a little bit about your book, um, okay. pa- Paranormal Realities. I know that... Uh, you, it's recently just been put out, right? Uh, not too yeah, long ago, right? Recently published. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. When did you? Uh, so when did you first decide that you you know you wanted to write a book and, and what were you know basically what what were some of your experiences that you wanted to put in the book and, and some of the points you really wanted to wanted to emphasize? Well, uh, a lot of my friends at meetings and things like that, I I would be telling them stories of uh, my adventures and other people who had been into the paranormal, and people really liked these stories. They for years, people kept telling me, Keith, you, you have to write these stories down in the book. You have to write these stories down in the book. Mm-hmm. And um, I kept saying, oh, yeah, of course I will. Of course I will. I certainly will. I'll, I'll write that. And then um, finally, um, my wife gave me a little boot, so to speak. So uh, kind of gave me a little incentive to do that. So I did start, uh, you know, you keep saying you're going to write it down. So why don't you start writing a book? So mm-hmm. I did start. And after, you know, several attempts, I... I started writing stories for uh, websites and uh, putting them online and things like that. But finally, uh, decided to compile them into book form. And uh, I just once I started writing, I realized, gee, just how many experience experiences I had and people close to me had had that um, this could really fill volumes. So I did put uh, some chapters together, and that's how the book came about: now paranormal it- realities, because they are real stories, true stories. Now, is this going to be a, uh, this is the first book in a series? Is that how right, you're doing this? Right, right. There'll be at least three. Mm-hmm. Plan, we plan for at least three, so uh, okay. there'll be two more to follow, definitely. The trilogy is the way to go, I think. Yeah, that's right, I think so. Follow <laughs> right along with, the, you know, right in line with Star Wars. Yes, and, exactly. And, and Indiana Jones should have stopped at three. Yes, definitely. <laughs> I mean, The Last Crusade should have been The Last Crusade. Which no is a great film. It. Both, All three, the first three were great. Ah, and, you absolutely. know, I don't know what happened. Somebody was, got their hands on some good drugs or something for the final one. But uh, <laughs> Keith, so... Uh, can you go over maybe just some of the some of the highlights from the book, some of the things that you talk about? Uh, some of the it, is it something where you go back to the beginning of your career? Yes, yes. It starts out where I was. Um, I detail a lot of the experiences which uh, I was experiencing, and my family were experiencing in our home growing up as children. For example, one time uh, it was after dinner. My mother was a little choked up. Carl and I were like five years old. And uh, my dad handed her a glass of water. The water just vanished. It just there was a slurping sound, and it was gone. So uh, we termed that our <laughs> thirsty ghost. That's, That's odd. Yes, uh, that was fun. You know, we we were laughing at that. That's our thirsty ghost. We were so excited. That, uh, so most kids would run the other way and soil themselves, but you thought it was great. <laughs> right. We we were thrilled at that. Exactly. <laughs> and of course, as the years went on, um, there were uh, of course you know we like everybody else did experiment with the uh, Ouija board. A lot of people do that, especially my um, brother and uh, my sister got in um, 
really a routine of contacting a spirit because they were getting a response. Well, with that came more and more problems. Then it wasn't so much fun. And, um, of course, it details us meeting Ed and Lorraine Warren, how we first became involved in uh, serious paranormal investigation. And the, uh, there's quite a detailed chapter on that first demonic case we're involved in. It's called Haunting in Harrisville. Mm-hmm. It details the um, family, what happened with them, and the solution that was, that was finally to come about after a long and arduous uh, siege there. And it was really quite a frightening demonic siege. And uh, you know what's amazing? something I'll never forget. What's amazing is that, that that was really your first real case, and you run into that, and but you keep going, because I think yes. most people would probably stop at that point. Well, there were some, uh, at least um, at least a few other investigators, in, including the uh, founder of the organization, uh, said they'll never do this again. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, he, our founder of the organization said, I'll, I'll continue to be the founder, I'll, I'll do investigations, but I'll never go into a family's house when it's haunted at night again. That's it. You know, I've had my experience, and that's, that's very sensible, very sensible. You know, Carl and I kept on going for many, many years, and hmm. of course, as the book goes along, they, we uh, deal with uh, demonic possession and different um, things, aspects where people have called in. There is a story where somebody summoned a spirit, which she thought was very, very uh, kind and benevolent. Turned out it was an inhuman spirit. She got into, almost got into big trouble for that because <laughs> she was a sensitive, and she couldn't really control it, so... Wow goes right up, like you said, to us uh, joining the Atlantic Paranormal Society and uh, Sandra's when she became involved in it because I had been going on a number of cases and I'd be coming home listening, reviewing these EVPs, listening to evidence, and she'd hear recordings of me doing religious cleansings and blessings. One day Sandra said, I'm living with the exorcist. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Without the without the cool hat, or maybe right, you, ha- right, maybe you have one of those cool hats. That's true. Yeah. Much, much more cooler than Max von Sydow, <laughs> I must right. say. You know, Keith. Keith um, uh, you know, and one of the questions I wanted to ask you tonight was: y- you've encountered some some inhuman entities and 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 obviously some demonic entities. Have you ever run into a good entity? Yes, yes, we have. Um, we've seen. Uh, there's been a lot of confusion as far as what is you know good entity, what is not a good entity. But usually, when it's a good entity, it turns out that there is uh, angelic involvement. So, so you've actually have you had an encounter with with one of those types? Yes, yes, I have. In fact, when I was very, very young, uh, I was of course more sensitive than I am now. I would actually have encounters with very, very kind spirits, very good spirits that were very helpful, uh, very almost like a uh, a mentor parent association. They're very, very kind and gentle gentle with me, and I did have some ex- negative experiences when I was very, very young, so that fortunately counterbalanced it. But um, usually it's uh, a counterbalance between uh, something very negative and something very positive. And of course, in the uh, following books to come, we'll have more and more about that, where there is, mm-hmm. uh, we're in um, demonic situations and we call upon angelic spirits, so wow. there are stories about that. What, what can somebody do if they're listening to this, and, and you know, you've been in this field long enough that you know more people have experiences than come forward, obviously. Right. So if, exactly. someone, if someone's experiencing something that they feel is, is demonic in nature, what, what's some words of advice you can give them? If they feel they are, I would seek help immediately, seek advice. And, um, 
be very, of course, careful of who you're going to for advice. Obviously, if it's a new group just starting out, you might want to uh, explore somebody who's had um, some some more experience with this. But I would I would seek help instead of feeling isolated because if it is a truly demonic case, that's one of the worst things that can happen that you feel alone without help and isolated. So I would try to consult somebody, at least at least speak with somebody as soon as possible and try to find out, get some extra help so you won't be alone with this. Like even even myself has been doing this for many, many years. I could still feel very, very isolated when I'm working on a case like that. And uh fortunately I'm blessed to have uh to be married to somebody who's the co founder of my organization and we work on these things together mm-hmm. and um I know not everybody has that uh, advantage, but uh, you can, even as years and years after investigating, you can start feeling very, very alone and isolated in this. So it does help to uh, always seek somebody else's, uh, at least, if not advice, at least uh, share with somebody, somebody understanding. So if people are uh, interested in, in purchasing Paranormal Realities and, and looking into that uh, book, where, where, can they, uh, where can they get a hold of it? They can go to our site at nearparanormal.com. Mm-hmm. They can uh, buy it online as well, and um, of course, I am having a book signing coming up this uh, Saturday, August 22nd, mm-hmm. at um, Barnes and Nobles at the Providence Place Mall. That's going on from 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. Okay. So, Great. if if you want to know anything about the book, you can always visit my site at nearparanormal.com. I'll tell you all about it and where to get it. Wow, outstanding! That and sounds you, great. And you do have a uh, you guys have a television program also. Can you talk a little yes. bit about that? Yes, Ghosts Are Near. It's a paranormal talk show, and uh, I've actually, uh, we've talked to somebody, like my wife has uh, co-workers who are actually too scared to watch it. We tell them, it's not really that scary, it's more, it's more interesting because it's, uh, it's just like when we sit around, um, go out for coffee and sit around with friends or at meetings, that's basically what the format is. Mm-hmm. We sit around in a kind of parlor setting, and it's very informal, we chat with Various. Um, we've had some very, very interesting guests. Um, Brian Honwark uh, re- uh, recently co-hosted one of our shows. Oh, look um, at that. He, he took over as the host uh, with Sandra mm-hmm. for interviewing me about paranormal reality. So, so it's kind of quite a treat. Role reversal. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But um, and uh, we show footage of conventions and actual investigations. P- uh, investigators come on with their own evidence and show that play EVPs and so on. And we're very much. Looking forward to having you guys on as well. Yeah, we're looking forward to that as well, and and uh, hopefully that you know uh, we'll we'll have some good evidence by then. No, just <laughs> oh, I'm sure you uh, you got some good evidence so far. Well, Ke- Keith, I got to tell you, there's a reason why we're on radio. So I'm not sure if uh, <laughs> I'm not sure if you want us on your television program. Well, I've he- I've heard that before. <laughs> right. Well, actually, Keith, but you're not going to believe this, but there was actually a fan of yours that showed up at the radio station thinking you were going to be here today. Oh, really? So, yeah, so uh, obviously left disappointed, but hopefully they will show up at the Providence Place Mall to get a oh, book well, signed I'll, by I'll you. Oh, I look forward to meeting them. Yeah, I'm sorry I wasn't there in person then. <laughs> well, the, the, the last question for me, Keith, and uh, I know this is, a, uh, this is a stereotypical interview question, but um, if you could have dinner with any famous person, dead or alive, who would it be? Oh, it would be, um, I guess, Harry Houdini. Oh, wow, that's a, that's a great choice, and obviously uh, was was very deep into the spiritualism uh, yes. movement. Yes, that would it'd be wonderful. And um, he came to Providence, Rhode Island, and performed back in the twenties. Obviously, did you see him live? Or I didn't see him. But <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're not no, that old. No, I, apo- I apologize. I'll tell you no. who was in the audience <laughs> at uh, the uh, Providence Performing Arts Center. 
which was low state at the time. My grandmother was in the audience. Wow. And so was H.P. Lovecraft, both in the same wow. audience, watching Harry Houdini. So that's what a, very cool. That's great. I yeah. wish I'd been there, but right. <laughs> a little before my time. He put on a good show, I hear. Oh yes, yes, fantastic. Harry and you know, wonderful. one of the things, one of the things, Harry Houdini. If I just for a quick second, I know that he was real, as I said, deep into the spiritualism movement. And did he not have a pact with his wife that he was going to try to come back and contact her? Yes, yes, his wife Bess. Yeah, he did, and um, they had a code that he was going to give to her as proof. Unfortunately, that code never came through. So eventually, she did the last radio show. She said, "Harry, I dis- I extinguished the flame mm-hmm. permanently." So he never did prove that he came back. There was a group in California, um, UCLA, that tried to contact him annual in Halloween. Well, one of the uh, young women started all of a sudden swaying like a cobra, and uh, her eyes turned like very, very wide like saucers, and uh, she wouldn't answer them. They kept saying, are you Houdini? Are you Harry Houdini? This unearthly voice came out of her and said, who is Houdini? <laughs> so they stopped it right there. That was there. the end, so right. <laughs> They stopped it. So. Well, uh, we are running short of time, but I want to thank our guest, Keith Johnson, uh, for, for spending a, a, an interesting hour, to say the least. And um, you can purchase his book, Paranormal Realities, as he said. You can buy it online. You can go to his website. And uh, he will be doing a book signing at the Providence Place Mall next Saturday. So yes, thank you. Thank yeah. you very much for joining us, Keith. Oh, you're very welcome, and look forward to meeting you in person. Great, right, Keith. Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Oh, okay. our, our guest Keith Johnson. That hour flew by. It certainly did. No, he's a he's a wealth of uh, knowledge Absolutely. when it comes to uh, the, the spiritual realm. So, uh, like like we said, go go to ghostsarnier.com and you can uh, you can check out his website and uh, get some more information about the New England anomalies research. And if you purchase his book and you send it to me, I'll sign it for you and send it right back. There you go. So you'll have the book, his book, signed by me. <laughs> will that be interesting? If you can't get a hold of the Keith, Mike will definitely <laughs> sign the book, and he'll include a uh, an eight by ten glossy of himself. Right, uh, in a romantic pose, wearing uh, chaps and a cowboy hat, and that's and that would be the end of it. it. So uh, I think next, uh, let's talk about next week's show. Yeah, next week's show. Uh, next week's show, we're going to be uh, delving back into the world of the uh, of uh, alien encounters, and we're going to be talking about um, people from uh, another planet coming to Earth in antiquity or in the old time, ancient. A- Alien uh, visitations. Ancient aliens. Certainly a wealth of information about that topic. So there's a, there's a lot of things going on there, uh, uh, and the Nazca lines being one of them. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Contact us during the week again at Mike at thedarkersideradio.com or Jason at thedarkersideradio.com. So remember, until next time, just remember the truth exists. Believe it. <laughs> <laughs>